Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we talk all things karate with world champion Nadine Champion. Champion by name, champion by nature. Now, Nadine Champion is the, has the 10X talk that is regarded as one of the most memorable of all time. She's the author of 10 Seconds to Carriage, which is a bit of a theme in this conversation. She is an awarded martial artist with over 30 years experience and 20 years of coaching and teaching. Now, Nadine is a bit of a weapon. She has actually got a black belt or two in karate, and she also has a black belt in kickboxing as well. She's been doing martial arts since the age of 10. She got a gold medal at the World Cup Martial Arts. She is a title-holding fighter in Muay Thai kickboxing she was in the peak of her physical and mental conditioning when she was actually diagnosed with cancer and this is where the story takes a bit of an unexpected turn we're going to talk to someone who's not just performed at the highest level but has actually had that taken away and had to learn how to bring it back again so for those of you who are going through a bit of a challenging time right now and this is one you're going to want to listen to listen up This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com well ladies and gentlemen it gives me an absolute honor to welcome to the show nadine champion nadine thank you so much for being here thank you for having me i feel like this is not the first time i've introduced you somehow now, for those people <laughs> who don't know who you are, look, I, I have a little bit of a, a hidden advantage. You and I have met already. You spoke mm-hmm. at one of our events for our K2 Elites, uh, for our leaders, uh, and you came in and you absolutely knocked the socks off. You really did. <laughs> you really showed them who was boss when it came to understanding and overcoming fear. Um, and, yeah, really demonstrating courage. So for those people who don't know who you are, Nadine, what's the short version? Who are you and uh, why are you so famous? Uh, in my own lunchbox. Um, Mm. So my background is I've been doing martial arts my whole life since I was 10 years old. So I have 31 years worth of martial arts experience, Um, a few black belts in there, and I transferred my martial arts experience to full contact fighting in the ring. So uh, kickboxing, Thai boxing, um, all kinds of different martial arts. And, uh, yeah, I've been through a few other things that I'm sure we'll get into today. Yeah. Yeah. So you won a couple of titles? Yeah, I won a few things yeah. over the years. It's uh, it's funny how they mean the world at the time. Yeah, right. And then now I could I'd struggle to tell you what they were and what year they were. <laughs> Other people have to tell me usually. But, yeah, right. Um, yeah, for me it was just the idea of uh, testing myself with achievement. Yeah. And it's never about the trophy. Yeah, you know, right. It's never about the the title and other people calling you champ. It's just. Can I do it? Do I want to do it? How far can I take it? So you've got a really interesting story, like um, not just your fight story, but also how you transition that story into you know your life story and your health mm-hmm. story. But before we jump into that, tell tell me a little bit about because one of the things I really want to un- help the listeners at home get from this interview today is a real insight into your discipline and how you apply your discipline in a practical way to achieve outcomes that in most cases people would be con- would consider to be impossible, you know, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to health. So I'm curious to know where this all began. How did, what was it that attracted 
attracted you to martial arts in the first place? And before martial arts, did you have any discipline in your life that um, that you can call to or speak of? Mm, that's an interesting question. I I came to martial arts because I fell in love with it. So there was a purity to my intention. I just thought it was magic. Yeah. You know, and I always talk about the Karate Kid movie. Watching, I was just going to go. I'm so glad you went there. Yeah, like with uh, with Daniel San and Mr Miyagi. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that film and it romanticised this idea of having a teacher and, you know, I saw all the moves in it and, yeah. you know, I just thought it was amazing. And I felt that way when I saw martial arts in person for the first time. I knew it was the thing for me. And as soon as I let my body do the thing that yeah, I was right. falling in love with from the sidelines, uh, it felt incredibly right to me. So some little kids like ballet and ponies and I wanted to to put a karate uniform on and, and jump yeah. around. I, I gotta say, like the karate kid really does have a lot to answer for. Like there are <laughs> there are dojos yeah. all over the world that are still in business as a result, you know, of that film, yeah. you know, and the cult status that it created. Because it was the mm. same with me. Like I was very influenced by that film, The Karate mm. Kid, from the moment I watched it the first time and you know, even probably the fifty fifth time after from there. Mm. So when you got into martial arts, how old were you? Ten. You were ten. Fantastic. And um, look, I'm curious to know, like, what drove you to want to get to the point where not only you wanted to achieve a black belt status, but, you know, even get in the ring and start trading blows with other human beings? Well, I didn't want to, to be honest. Um, for a very long time, I didn't want to because didn't I didn't want came, to fight or I you didn't, didn't want, want the black belts? I wanted the black belt, definitely. Right. It was, I used to watch my instructor train and I was looking at his belt, not at his face, you know. <laughs> um, and I, but I think there's – I sort of laugh about it now at my own uh, childishness in a way. But, um, you know, there's it's, – it's a beautiful thing to want something so wholeheartedly, mm. to find something that's actually worth wanting. I yeah, think right. that's hard to do these days And that's where you a lot of people. You refer to the purity and it yeah, sounds to me like this is a real something that you're in design. love with. Yeah, right. You know, and I, I saw that and I thought that's something worth having. And this is back in the olden days where yeah. – it was hard to get a black belt. As a child, they wouldn't give you one. You weren't allowed to have a full adult level black belt. You had to have a junior black belt. And, yeah, right. Uh, it was much harder to attain than I think it is in some styles now. But I think I felt like it was worth working towards. And you asked me before if I had discipline or anything before that. Yeah. I think I came to martial arts and I fell so deeply in love with it because it gave me something that I didn't, that I needed outside of my my home life and yeah, what right. I didn't have. So I say to people now, if you don't, if you don't have meaning, if you don't have a teacher or a mentor, if you don't have a purpose or a passion, you can sit there feeling empty and wishing that you had it. Yeah. Or you can go find it. And the the doing yeah. is the important part because I think a lot of people they wish and they hope and they dream. Yeah, right. And so do I. But there comes a point where you're just going to be a dreamer or you're going to go find something. So how important then is structure and discipline in the concept of, you know, th this idea? You can do something once. Yeah. You can hear an idea once. You can read a book, get a degree, learn something once. But the the habit, the repetitious practice like in martial arts, the repetitious practice of a dream, of a thought, of a feeling, of a mindset practice, of a physical practice, that's what makes it go deeper within you that's what makes it a part of you instead of something that's separate from you so yeah, right. you know there's a saying you are what you do mm -hmm. repeatedly you know it's it's that idea that you need to do something regularly with discipline if it's really going to take hold of you otherwise it's just an idea and ideas are cheap yeah right so 
a lot of people probably don't realise your story in martial arts is, is actually legit old school, you know, because I, I – but you see – What are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you see a lot of these kids now that will come into certain martial arts and you, you made a good point, you know, certain styles have different requirements in terms of the standards that you have to be at in order to progress through the ranks. Hmm. Uh, and there are some, you know, styles that really do just, you know, I, I feel that sell the black belts and we sell the – We call it cloth. a McDojo. McDojo. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's commercialization of martial arts. But yeah. let me – let me before we go further into yeah. that, let me – say everything has its place. I agree. I agree. And, and that's yeah. why I'm very careful with the words that I choose. I'm not putting mm. it down. It's a commercial, you know, it's a commercial view. And for some people. It works. That's the exact right dose. And it's a great introduction. Yeah. It's a great gateway yeah. style, you know, yeah. as I like to call it, you know, to, to get people involved in the discipline. But you come from the the, the, the school where you, you didn't just show up and train, you know, four times a week or even five times a week. You you actually slept in the gyms. Like If I, if I get this right, like yeah. you, there were times in your life where you, when you, when I believe when you travel to see Benny and you're training with Benny, mm. you actually slept in dojos, which is a mark of, you know, someone who gives their life to something. Or being broke. <laughs> Both. Well, when we give our life yeah. to something, especially like fighting, you know, you know, especially in the early days, you're not making a lot of money. And so you have to do, no. and this is what I've, you know, identified, whether it be, you know, John Wayne Power or other guys mm. that, I've, that I've observed who have gone, uh, Wally Schnellbrook, you know, eight times Kyrgyz world champion. Mm. You know, I've heard the stories of these guys sleeping in the gym because they didn't have any money, because they were training all the time. They couldn't work in some cases. Yeah. So this is to me, like, this is the old school discipline that is very, that a lot of people don't see these days. Yeah, especially for women. There's, yeah. there's definitely no money in it and that's not why... That's not why I did it. It's, yeah. It wasn't about that for me in the beginning, especially. So, and nor is it now. But um, you know, I was very lucky to find my own Mr. Miyagi, my yeah, right. my teacher and my sensei, a man named Benny the Jet Yukides, and he's a he's a martial arts legend. There were pictures of him in books that I used to see when I was a little kid, and um, you know, I went looking and I found him. And it was unfortunate for me that he lived in North America <laughs> and I lived in in Australia. So. You know, I had to go, if I wanted it, I had to go get it. It wasn't yeah, right. just going to fall in my lap and it made it worthwhile having because there was sacrifice involved. Yep. And, you know, I was very young when I used to go and go over there and train, so I I couldn't afford to be there and he knew it. So he made sure that I paid my dues in something other than money, yep. um, you know, in sweat and blood and tears and uh, also in writing things down. Not just he wouldn't let the information run through me like a sieve. Yeah, right. He would say to me, and this is where he's my sensei, not my coach. If he says do this, you do it. Yep. You do it unquestioningly. So he would say, get a pen, get a piece of paper in the middle of a conversation. I did this this morning when I was talking to him. Wait, hold that thought. Let me write it down. He trained me to write down the information, the technique, the what we call the internal training, the mm -hmm. mindset. Yep. Uh, the attitude, the emotional, the spiritual part of it, he would get me to write it down so yeah, that right. my effort was worthwhile. It wasn't something that I'd forget. I could take it away with me and digest it and work on it and make it my own and then bring it back to him instead of it just being a moment that's then yeah, right. passed. And what I was left with or what I've been left with is 20 years' worth of notes, 20 years' worth of study and doesn't, you know, my degree didn't take me that long to get but... <laughs> You know, if, it's, if you're going to pay for something, yep. whether it's financially or in another way, you better get your money's worth. You better get the value from it. Otherwise, it's almost wasted effort. So you trained with Benny DeJet for how long? 21 years now. 21 years. Mm -hmm. And you trained under him when going for your world titles, I believe, as well? 
Uh, so I'm not a world champion kickboxer. Most common world mistake. World Cup, I thought, wasn't it? Yeah, world Cup world martial cup. arts. Yep. I've won a lot of different things, yep. but people often think, I saw today on the internet someone else saying, you know, she's a world champion and I always smile to myself. I think, no, my surname's champion. <laughs> um, and and I, I've spent a lot of time in the company of world champions. Yeah, right. For me, fighting for a world title wasn't meant to be. Yeah, right. Uh, it just didn't happen that way. But, you know, I... I Sensei Benny sat uh, at dinner last night and said to me I, he, that he was always a better teacher than a fighter and I feel exactly the same way. I've dedicated 20 years to teaching people. Yeah, right. Uh, and in that I teach myself and fighting was a part of what I did. Um, you know, and, and even he confuses me with a world champion, which is a huge compliment. He said to me last night, you know, when you, when you fought for your world title and I smiled at him, he was there. Yeah. And, uh, and I smiled. I said, oh, no, you know, it wasn't that level. But he said, it doesn't matter because it's, it's not the – to me, it's not what's written on the belt. It's what it costs you to get it. Yeah, right. You know, and That's I'm not too worried about that part of it. You know, it's interesting in business. I often say, you know, leadership's not a title. It's a behavior. You, yeah. know, you know, leadership's, you know, it's, it's not a trophy. You know, it's, it's really a behavior. Yeah. It's how you get in there. and, and It's what and you think you, of yourself yeah. and how you treat yourself and other people. And for me, the fights that I did have, this one particular fight that I talk about quite a lot, that was my world title fight. It doesn't matter what it says on the belt. It yeah. doesn't matter. That's yeah. the one that people always confuse with the world title. It's, right. Um, you know, I, I won a gold, gold medal at the World Cup of Martial Arts. It means nothing to yeah, me right. personally because on that day everything came easy. You know, there was no struggle. It was it was simple for me, yeah. and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. No, I, I completely. It didn't understand. cost me much, but you know, this particular fight that I bring up a lot was a big battle, and it was a it was a mental battle, and I earned that title. I Do earned you, it in every possible way, and you know, it doesn't matter what I say about you and what title I give to you. If you don't feel it, yeah, and you don't believe it about yourself, it's it's meaningless. Um. I guess in many ways this prepared you for one of the biggest fights of your life. Mm. Um, you know, you've you've been a fighter for a long time. Um, I, I relate to that. It's a great discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a really great standard to hold ourselves. There's a great dis personal discipline that's required to be a fighter, which I think mm. in the right psychology creates really good quality human beings. Um, Say that again. The right – I think mm. martial arts gives people with the right psychology – and it almost and the right teacher and the right teacher. You know, mm -hmm. almost creates better human beings. I think because mm -hmm. of the structure, the order, the discipline, and the respect. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is you, you've been fighting for a long time. But as a result of, you know, what you've gone through, you, you ended up in being in the fight of your life, and you weren't even near a ring. Why don't we? Why don't you share with everyone how that came about? Yeah. So this is interesting. I talk about you know this really tough fight that I had in the ring. Yeah. You know where I. I was very injured going into the fight and I had that I gut feeling about it. This is my time and yeah. I need to do this. And I had three different sets of torn ligaments and, um, you know, I'd been very unlucky, shall we say, leading up to the match and all the odds were stacked against me and Sensei Benny was going to be in Australia for the first time when I was fighting and he was going to be in my corner and everybody thought I was crazy to go through with the fight. But uh, I had a gut feeling that I needed to do it right then despite the evidence of everything else around me. Yeah, right. And what I didn't know at the time was that was my second last fight and I got to fight for one more title uh, and I won that and that was the a visually a belt that I'd always wanted, you know, so I was very excited to get it. And then, you know, my fortunes changed and out of nowhere I got uh, cancer. You know, I was at the peak of my physical fitness and health and 
um, it was very shocking to me and everybody else because I was diagnosed really very suddenly with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a lymphatic, like a blood cancer. Yeah, right. Um, and it, it scared a lot of people because if that could happen to me, then what does that say about you? Mm. So a lot of people took it personally. Right. I guess that's interesting in situations like that, how some people make things about themselves. But I'm curious. It's human nature. It is human nature. It's how we relate. Uh, but, but I'm curious, do you remember like the, the first 10 seconds after being told the diagnosis? Yeah, I said a word that I won't repeat right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know what, the way circumstance had it, I was by myself. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, the chips just fell the way they did and I was sitting on my couch at home by myself when the doctor rang me. I went to the hospital the day before to get the results. He didn't have the results. Okay. So it wasn't meant to happen face to face. I was meant to go through that battle alone in a way. Yep. And I learned a great deal from it. It was it was incredibly humbling, and it's changed the way I live my life now. Because I was, I'm sure some of your listeners will relate to this. I was positioned as a leader. I was positioned as being strong, especially as a strong woman, in inverted commas, um, because I'd fought through so many things and I'd led so many people and. Um, when you have a sense of your own power in the world and what you can create for other people and what you can create for yourself, it can be a trap because things change. And Sensei Benny used to say to me, don't put me on a pedestal. And I didn't understand what he meant, but he always used to say, you need to let me be human still. Mm. Who's on the pedestal ends in the pit. Yeah. So I, I didn't realize I was on a pedestal with people until they reacted so strongly to me being sick and people scattered. You know, and they they found it hard to to let me be. We all found it hard, actually. I shouldn't say they did. I found it hard to let myself be um, vulnerable. Mm. You know, I wasn't trying to prove anything like I'm so tough, I'm so strong when I'm sick. I was trying to make everybody else feel safe and okay around it. It was a loving thing to do, but I didn't want them to know how hard it was for me because I was trying to protect them. Yeah, right. And that's that fighter in me again. I'm, tr- I'm going to protect you from yeah. the pain. I'll take it. So I'm curious. Um, you said like there was, an, it was a really important battle that you had to go through on your own. Mm. So what I'm curious to know is if you're open to is maybe diving into that, a little bit of mechanics of that. The first thing I'm curious to know is what, what came up for you? Like what were some of the feelings, the emotions, the perspectives that came up for you, you know, after you got off the phone from the doctor? Uh, first thing I thought was, I can't believe I'm going to go out like that. No kidding. Is this how my story goes? Yeah, no kidding. Because um, I'd fought so hard for so long to make something of myself. Mm. And I'd been I'd been on such shaky ground when I was younger. I'd had messages from my family and other things around me that, that weren't helpful. They weren't, they didn't make me stronger and more confident. They made me a bit more fragile and uncertain. Yeah, right. So martial arts and fighting had taught me the truth of who I was and that's why I fought. It wasn't because I thought I was tough. It wasn't because I wanted to go and punch someone in the face. I definitely didn't want to get punched in the face or worse. I wanted to find out the unequivocal truth and that's what happens in the ring. If you think you're tough and you go telling everybody you're tough and the truth is you're not actually, you get exposed. You get humbled. If you're not disciplined enough to prepare correctly and do what needs to be done, you get get found out. Mm. So I'd worked very hard to teach myself the truth of who I was and Sensei Benny always said, when you're ready, let's test the theory. Let's go find out for real. And that's the difference, I think. Is this what's coming to you? Like, Because, again, I'm going back to this moment. You've got this coming up, not like this, and then all of a sudden this starts playing in your head. Is this what's going through your head? 
Yeah, I'm programmed. Yeah. I've I've spent yeah. so long listening to his voice that I right. hear his voice all the time, and I joke with him like I'm hearing voices again. <laughs> he sounds a little bit like Rocky, like an American, <laughs> you know, like Nadine. This is what it is. But um, you're Nadine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear his voice a lot. So a lot of the th- and I teach what he taught me so much. Yeah, I teach right. it very freely every day, and whether it's you know, in a conversation with a friend or literally teaching someone martial arts or whether it's high-performance mindset coaching in business, it doesn't matter the context. I believe in this. I've proven this and I don't believe in... I won't tell someone something yeah. that I don't know is true. Yeah. I won't suggest it to them uh, if I haven't tested the theory of it myself because then I become a used car salesman. Yeah. I become look at the shiny thing over here, now give me money for it. And I think there's a lot of that these days and people find out. That's why we were talking about the McDojos before. That's enough for some people of martial arts. That's perfect for some people. But what I saw happening when I was younger was uh, people would go along and they would pay their money and they would train and they would get their black belt. But when you give somebody something that they haven't really earned, whether it's a belt, a business title, you know, a degree, doesn't matter what it is, if they know in their heart that they didn't really earn it, it doesn't have the same weight, it doesn't have mm. the same value. Uh, so I, I stick to what I know because I think when I was younger and learning to teach people, I was very inclined to repeat what I'd heard. But Sensei Benny said to me, you know, if you, if you don't know, like know in your gut what you're saying is true, you know just enough to hurt people because mm. you can't back it up, you can't answer their questions. And they'll, even if they believe in you and they're looking you in the eye and they understand what you're saying, on a gut level, some, they'll know something's off. Yep. You know, so I just try to shoot from the hip now. And I guess when I got sick, I realized now's the time. You know, if I really believe in these things that I've learned, can I transfer them into this new arena? Okay. So I'm curious to know, like there might be a lot of people who are listening to this that have just received some bad news and I'm not going to any, any, in any way try and compare the two. But what I'm curious to know is if, you know, you, you, you were programmed to take that news probably better than most people. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Just I've taken a few shots on the chin you've before. Taken a, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm curious to know is if, if there's any practical insights that you could give to people when it comes to dealing with bad news to help mm. them balance that perspective out in a way that will be really helpful and less destructive. Okay. So the, f- the first thing is you yep. said the word perspective. So even though I had the big scary cancer word and I was very scared, I always try to keep things in perspective. And I learned that from... So you weren't absent of fear when this came through? Oh, I was afraid. Absolutely. Yep. I was afraid I was going to die. I wasn't mm. done yet. I was 37 years old. I wasn't finished. So I was afraid, absolutely, and my fear was made worse because uh, in the six months preceding the diagnosis, I'd watched my brother pass away. Uh, he had stage four lung cancer when he was diagnosed, was terminal, and I had to face my own fear of watching him die mm-hmm. and having to you know, go and be with him when I was afraid of how I would feel when I was with him. So I'd already had a big dose of fear and courage and um, if I'm being really harsh, my own cowardice, I had to confront it and go, you know, there are times when I I ran away. I came back. It might have only been I ran away for 10 seconds within myself. Mm. But, um, you know, we all face that and it takes courage, I think, to admit it and confront it. So I'd had to face this fear of my own sadness, losing him, letting go, not knowing the answers. 
um, you know, and fear of illness and how frail it makes people. It's very confronting watching someone you love um, fade away. So I was already in fear and grief and mm-hmm. pain. And two days after he passed away, I get on a plane, I put a backpack on my shoulder, I feel a lump just behind my collarbone, a little painful lump, half the size of a marble, looked like nothing. And a, a chill went through me and I went, that wasn't there before. Surely it can't be. But I knew. I knew in my gut. But my head was trying to talk over the top of it mm. loudly. Nah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, all those things that we that we think that, you know, cancer's so common that they say it depends who you listen to, one in one in three or two in three will get it in their lifetime. Um, you know, so I think a lot of people have had that experience of either they've had to face an illness or they've watched someone face an illness. Um, you know, and I keep it in perspective and I did even then. <clears throat> When I got diagnosed, they didn't say to me, your prognosis is terminal. So I went, okay, there's hope. And way worse things happen in the world every day than mm. people getting cancer. So it was the worst thing that had happened to me. But I tried to always maintain that perspective that it could be way worse. There are bigger griefs to have. There are, there are harder things to do. There are, there are more painful things. So, so that's how you manage, you manage your perspective. I tried not to panic. Yeah. There's no point panicking, like keep it in perspective. And, you know, when we used to train for fights, I think I've told you this story before, you know, I would get in the ring with, you know, two different heavyweight world champions at the same time, these big guys, big strong guys, 125 kilos each, uh, and swim in the deep water with them. And it's that old adage of, uh, you know, uh, train hard, fight easy. Train hard, fight easy, yeah. The harder you train, the Mm. fight is easier. Mm. And I think the same thing comes in business when you have to deliver something stressful if you build it up to be the, the worst thing in the world, your body chemistry, your your inner belief will act like that. But if you go into stressful things and get comfortable there, you know, you you learn to cope with it better. So, you know, a little 65 kilo, me in the ring with these two big 125 kilo guys, that's a tough day at the office. And then when you have to go and execute in a fight and deliver I get in the ring, I see a little 65-kilo girl and I go, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> it's not so bad. So I tried to take that with me when I was sick. I was scared. It was painful. I felt mm. sad for myself. I was grieving my brother. I couldn't believe that all those years I'd been fit and healthy and eaten right and done all that stuff and now my body had betrayed me. I can't believe my life's turning out yeah, like right. this. What? Me? Wow. Who? Huh? Yeah. But uh, at the same time I used to walk into the hospital for chemo and there were days when I was feeling sorry for myself, so I would I would go for a walk past the spinal unit or I would open my eyes and I would look around at who else is walking in and out of this hospital looking like someone they came in with isn't coming out with them. Mm. So I'm hearing a lot of mani- perspective management, you know, mm. a lot of contrast. Um, so from a practical perspective, like something you would suggest to others who perhaps either got bad news or in a difficult situation is look at it from different perspectives. This is what I'm hearing. And perhaps, you know, look at alternate, uh, like the ulterior scenarios that could be playing out that will perhaps give them a, a greater sense of appreciation of where they are. Have and, you, sorry, go ahead. And make a choice. Mm, so a choice on what? I chose. Yeah. What I was going to decide would be the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make peace with it. At the very beginning. Yeah, right. In fighting, you go in the ring believing that you'll win, but you have to make peace with the fact that you can't control the outcome. So you activate all the power that you have, but you don't, you try not to be uh, arrogant enough to think that you can control it because anything can happen. Mm. 
So I looked at it the same way and I, I made a choice. I'm not going to waste my energy like I used to when I was younger, catastrophizing, worrying, wondering what's going to happen, believing that the worst is going to happen. I chose that I am going to survive this. And if I don't, so be it. But I choose to believe and keep my body chemistry in the best place it can be moving mm. into this. I'm just going to choose to believe that it's all going to work out because I wasn't, I wasn't brought up optimistic. I yep. was brought up pessimistic. And I had to learn that behaviour through things that Sensei Benny taught me to do, mindset exercises that taught me how to change my thinking because I didn't like the way that my thinking took me. And I'm very gra- grateful that I didn't spend my whole cancer treatment, which was hard enough, mm. also feeling like it probably wouldn't work or maybe it wouldn't work and focusing on the wrong things. So you coined a phrase that you talked about when you when you spoke to us and you've actually just written a book on the on the same phrase which is called 10 seconds of courage um first of all i'm really curious where that came from and secondly what that means and how that can be used from a practical perspective mm. so 10 seconds of courage tell me a little bit about it that's something that i just sensei benny used to say to me and i picked it up by osmosis because i didn't feel brave like someone would tap me on the nose in the ring and i'd burst into tears when I was first learning to do the contact fighting. Yeah. Because uh, I'd, I'd grown up in touch contact martial arts where no one ever actually hits you hard. Is that like the taekwondo? Yeah. yeah you right. dance around, you yeah. make beautiful shapes. Yeah. You learn the art, but it's not it's not uh, the way that I learnt it, especially because I was a child, it wasn't realistic combat. Yeah, right. So when I got into some more realistic combat, you hit someone like, in the face. They, like, wow. they have an emotional reaction. It's a yeah. personal reaction. And if they don't... Either they like it and that says something else about them uh, or they have no reaction and there's something that, that's not right with them mentally. Yeah, right. You know, so if you don't, if I walked over there and punched you in the face right now, you might take it personally and then you might punch me back. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people people react and it doesn't matter yep. male, female, big, small, tough, yep. not tough. Eventually everybody cries in the ring in life, you know. So Sensei Benny would say to me, Wipe your tears, you know, when you're ready, say what you need to say, feel what you need to feel, turn the volume up on the things that are going to help you, turn the volume down on things that aren't. Yeah, I like that. And then just have a little bit of courage, 10 seconds of courage just to move forward. Don't stay stuck here. Mm. So we were talking about this morning, when you get knocked down, you know, a fighter will get back up. It doesn't matter whether it takes you 10 years, get up. And he used to be hard on me at times. He's a, he's a beautiful, kind, um, soulful man. He's, he's a very wise person. But when he knows somebody's hungry to learn, he can be very harsh. And some of the stories I tell people are like, why was he so mean to you? And I say, because I needed him to be. Mm. I needed somebody who, was, who would be a rod for my back, who would be stronger than me and tell me, get up. Otherwise, you stay lying there forever. And I didn't want to do that. So how would you define courage? In your book, what does courage mean? You know, one of the most common misconceptions is this, if you're afraid, you're not being courageous, that that cancels it out. But I believe the opposite is true. I believe you can't be courageous if you're not afraid. There's not a whole lot of courage if you're just chilling well, to start with. Courage is required if you're not afraid, really, is but it? But people get it wrong yeah. and, you know, I think that a lot of, a lot of men, I spend a lot of time um, in, with, with guys and, and experiencing their masculinity from the outside and watching the, the traps and pitfalls. Yeah. 
uh, and please tell me if you think I'm, I'm incorrect about this, but, um, you know, I think a lot of men get told don't cry and, and don't be weak and, you know, don't be afraid and like it's a bad thing. Instead I, was, of, I was actually brought up by a single mum who okay. told me to cry, to empathise. You know, That's why you're an evolved human. Well, yeah, well, I feel more balanced, yeah. you know, certainly. You I know. think a lot of people in that old school thinking, yeah. you know, oh, they, I were, have to they agree. were told that. And I'm that's not I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Yeah. It just it creates a uh, it creates a boundary on what people think they're allowed to think and feel and be. Mm. And so when they are afraid, because of course they are, and since Benny said he never really felt fear until he had a daughter. Yeah, no kidding. I can really yeah. relate to that. And then yeah. she would hurt herself and, you know, something would happen and, and then he knew what fear was, not for himself but because he loved her so much. Yeah, right. Eventually everybody feels fear and, you know, it's interesting because I go and, and speak a lot in the corporate world and, I've had some very interesting experiences lately where I've worked, walked into a couple of different places in the financial sector that are highly competitive and very high-level business and I can feel the bristle and the resistance when I talk about fear. And I can feel that thing of, well, I'm not afraid. I don't feel like that. I, You know, it's that real... Ugh. The eager, eager defence. Yeah. yeah, and I just look at them and smile and I think, you know, if I put you in the ring with some of the people I've been in the ring with... You'd crumble, and I don't mean that in a cocky way. I mean that in a I've seen it happen. Mm. My experience has taught me everybody can only take so much, and there's always someone bigger, better, badder. You know, there's always somebody who'll bring out the fear in you, and it might just be fear. I don't want to hurt that little kid. I don't want to. You know, I want to be gentle with them, and I'm worried I'm not, or I'm mm. afraid of my own anger if you talk to me like that, or whatever it is. So it depends on the person, but I've earned the right to talk about this stuff because I've gone deep into my own fear, deep yeah, into right. my own courage. I've proven it to myself. And I, I understand that people get very uncomfortable, especially in competitive environments. They don't want anybody to know they're afraid. But I look at it, well, of course, one day something will happen. Like, let's be real here. Yeah. Well, you're going to find out the depth of what you can experience emotionally and you're going to find out, Hopefully you'll find out the highest highs of what you can be, but everybody has low lows. And if they haven't had it yet in their life, good for them. You know, fears are one of those things I think, and I think you mentioned it around courage, it's very misunderstood. I think, yeah. You know, it's very misunderstood. People think it's weak. Yeah. I, I think it's very practical. Like fear is very practical. Biologically, yeah. Chemically. Definitely at a primal level. Mm. Um, I'm curious to know from your perspective though, at what point does fear become impractical? Oh, when you let it get in your way. So if you listen to it like it's the truth and if you listen to it like it's your voice, mm. the voice in your head isn't always your own voice, since they said to me yesterday, and I was like, oh, that's so true. If you Everyone has a little it, voice in their head. Yeah. Everyone, and the ones that are Everyone has lots. Right, yeah, but the funny <laughs> thing is right now there'll be people right now, now listening to this going, I don't have a voice in my head. <laughs> oh, I, I envy your peace and quiet. But <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, sometimes it sounds like our own voice, the things that mm. we tell ourselves oh, and we forget where we learned that. Mm. Where did I learn that limiting self-belief? Where did I learn that I shouldn't try new things? Where did I learn that I'm not a good cook? Where did I learn? It doesn't matter what it is, but I think a lot of people take the voice in their head as gospel mm. without questioning it, without challenging it, without... You know, I, I think for a long time I had a harsh voice in my head and I learned to mellow it and I think being sick taught me that. Don't be so hard on yourself. My hardness towards myself let me do incredible things, in inverted mm. commas, you know, like it, it let me do things that other people looked at and said, wow, you know, I achieved a lot. But 
if you drive yourself so hard for so long without ever questioning it, you can drive yourself into the ground. Mm. So I had to, yeah, I had to temper it with with a kinder voice that, you know, that said, slow down a little bit and why do you think that? I questioned some of my own, my own my own voices and is it braver now to go through with this or is it braver to let people know the truth? And that's how I try to live my life now is I just try to do what what's true and right for me with good intentions for other people. Mm. So you talk about before we go where I'm going to go, mm. um, I think it's fair to say that fear is something that everyone experiences on a very regular basis. And a lot of people would say, you know, their greatest fears are the things that prevent them from doing the, the things that they want. Biologically speaking, primarily speaking, we're born with two fears, loud noises and falling. Mm. Where do the rest come from? We learn them. We touch hot things and go, ow, that hurts. We fall in love and, and get hurt. We, you know, we put our whole heart into our career and then maybe it doesn't go the way we hoped and, you know, we get disappointed. All those things are fears. People misunderstand what fear is a lot. Uh, you know, I think it's very useful. It's information. It's mm. feedback. And I used to go into these corporate settings and talk about fear and I'd watch. It's almost like a dirty word. You can't talk about that here. It's almost like I was swearing, mm. you know. So I started to try different words. I would replace it. I would substitute it. So now I go in and I say, listen, uh, I used to talk about fear, but it's too big a word. What if I replace the word fear with hesitation? Hesitation's fear. What if I replace the word fear with self-doubt? Self-doubt is fear. And it might just be momentary and you might not even recognise it for what it is, but if I don't move forward with confidence and belief in myself, I'm afraid. What am I afraid of could be a lot of things. But, you know, I think anyone who feels stuck within themselves, within making a decision, if you feel trapped by inaction or if you're missing opportunities in your life, which we all do, that's fear. I think there, there would be um, an incredible market for a pill that if people could take it, all of a sudden all of their fears vanished. Um, oh, more than but likely, then they'd be in trouble. Big trouble. Mm. More than likely it would be something that would be very unhealthy. But um, I am curious though, for nat I'm always curious about natural antidotes. So how do we, what are the things that we can do that will provide a level of relief for a period of time that will engage us enough to start so that we can even find out what's on the other side? And this is where I love your concept called the 10 seconds of courage. And mm. you know, the 10 seconds of courage to me, and I'm going to ask you in a moment more about it, is you know just getting started. Half the battle in most cases is just showing up. So yeah. what what is the root of 10 seconds of courage? And is it an antidote or is it just something designed to just get the ball rolling? What is it? I think of it like an antidote. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's a solution. You know, Sensei Benny said to me the other day, don't give me ideas, give me a solution. Mm. If I'm in pain, I don't want your idea. What does your idea do for me? Give me a solution. Give me something that I can do. And that's where, you know, when I go and speak, I will, uh, you know, I'll get off the stage at the end and I'll give everybody an emotional, physical experience of the idea I just presented and I'll tell them what to do with it. And then I'll give them an example and they can watch someone use it. It means nothing if you don't use it. That's the antidote part of it, you know, because like you can, we have the internet now. You can look up the answer to anything. You can look up the idea, you know, a million ideas and they're all free. But the, the difference is in what you do. 
And what you do might not be physical action. It might just be changing one thought in your head. You know, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, I'm not brave. And I pointed at her children and I went, yes, mm. you are. But I'm not brave. And she gave herself, she literally gave me out loud all these reasons why she's not brave. And I said to her, that's the one thought you need to change and here's how we're going to change it so that you can see how brave you are. Because you are who you tell yourself you are. And if you don't see yourself clearly and you don't act accordingly, even the brave things you do will look like fear to you. Mm. You know, so I'm, I'm grateful for my fear. When I'm fearful within myself or externally and then I move through it, it makes everything sweeter. It makes everything worthwhile. And, you know, I, when things come easy, great, I love those too. But it gives you a pride and, mm. and what we call a knowing. You know who you are. You know what it costs you. Uh, you know, and everybody's version of that is different. It might just be making eye contact if you're uncomfortable or, you know, you smile at somebody when they smile at you in the street. Smiling back for some people takes a lot of courage. Everybody feels differently about themselves in the world. So so why 10 seconds, not 5, not 15? Uh, ask Sensei Benny. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I actually don't know where he got it from. I just remember him telling me when yeah. I was younger and he told me for years and years and years and it was funny I watched... Um, a Matt Damon film called We Bought a Zoo Yeah, 10 years ago, whatever it was, and in that film it says 20 seconds of insane courage and I went, ah, oh, that's 10 seconds of courage, just different. Different format. Yeah. Different different thing. I don't actually know where it, it. where it came from. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, Voltaire said it, it's almost impossible to have an original thought and mm. I think that this is an idea that's probably been around for centuries. Yeah. Um, you know, the root of it is not so important for me. It's the doing and... I know that I've used it to, you know, just get started on so many things. And I use the example of uh, in a fight, everybody assumes that the actual fighting in the ring is the hard part, is the scary part. Mm. But if you don't have the 10 seconds of courage to walk from the dressing room out to the ring, you can never have the fight. Mm. It's the first step. It's the first one step on those 10 steps. It's... It's the beginning. That's the moment where, where people get caught in their fear, hesitation, self-doubt. That's the people where they, place where they get stuck in inaction and they miss the opportunity. If you don't do the first step, none of the other steps will ever happen. And I look at my own life now and I think if I had have taken that step, I could have gone this way, I could have gone that way. And I try to read the things that come at me through that filter these days. Do I need to take the first step with that? Am I not taking it because of fear, because of a lack of self-belief in this area? If I'm not comfortable doing that thing, when I'm so comfortable over here in my, in my life, maybe I should go that way. It's the starting, it's the doing, it's being willing to try whether or not you succeed. It's just being willing to give things a go because, you know, when I was sitting in that lead-lined room having radioactive stuff pushed through my body to find out whether or not I was going to live or die, not trying stuff seemed pretty silly mm. in that moment. So I've been a bit more up for, up for experimenting and prepared to fail ever since. Let's get a little practical again. Um, I know our listeners, they love, they love how-to. Like they really mm. enjoy the, the, the process of, okay, I'm in a situation now, I'm experiencing fear. I remember hearing somewhere 10 seconds of courage is going to get me through this. Mm -hmm. 
how do I engage 10 seconds of courage? Is there a process or is it just, okay, just just do this? Or, or do you have like this little mental kind of ritual that you put yourself through that'll go, okay, I know I need to do it. I know I need that 10 seconds right now, but how do I initiate that first second? It's different for everybody. And it's different, even within me, it's different depending on what the situation is yeah, and right. why I'm standing on the edge of it. So when you feel yourself, I feel that feeling in my stomach, it's like a butterfly feeling. Mm-hmm. Do I say the thing? Can I have this conversation? Do I put my hand up and volunteer? Do I put my idea forward? Do I sign this contract? Do I buy that thing? Whatever it is, the motivation for why I'm standing on the edge of the cliff is different. So it feels different emotionally, but the physiological part of it feels very similar to me. That's how I know I'm on the edge of using 10 seconds of courage. I'm, I've tuned in to what it feels like. Is this a fear that is not right for me? I don't want mm-hmm. to do that thing. Or is it that moment of excited, nervous fear, possibility? It feels like possibility to me. Sometimes, like you were saying before, uh, you know, sometimes you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't jump off the high thing and fear is logical because you'll die. <laughs> That's a good thing. Listen to that fear. I'm not saying, you know, face your fears, man, and go towards everything and do all the stuff and rah, rah, yeah. I'm saying you have to be quiet enough within yourself to know what's right for you and you have to test the theory and try and fail and do all these different things so that you can know when to use it and when to listen to your gut and go, actually, that's a valid fear and I should listen to that feedback and not move forward. Is there such a thing as a root fear um, whereby if you, you know, because a lot of people treat symptoms in their life rather than actually Mm. feeding the root cause, you know, fixing a root cause. I'm curious to know from your perspective though, like is there a root fear that, you know, if you deal with it, then all the other fears seem to be really easy to, to, to manage and deal with? I wouldn't say it's necessarily one for some people. Uh, I think you have a strong belief system. Everyone has a strong belief system. And I think some of that is light and some of it is dark. So you believe who you are uh, in a good way and you have things that you struggle with. A lot of people aren't even aware of what they are. They haven't gone into it. You know, they let it happen by accident because it takes courage to go into it and find out what am I afraid of? Who am I really? Good, bad and ugly. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to go into and it's an unnatural thing. I think for most people it's unnatural. I don't want to go towards my fear. I want to go the opposite direction. Mm. I think for a lot of people it boils down to who they believe themselves to be and facing whatever's holding them back. The only person that holds us back is usually us, mm. you know. And so, if so people hold us back, if you were holding me back from something I wanted to do, yeah. if I believe you and let you hold me back, that's still about me. Mm. Um. Do we have a relationship with fear? Like is it, a, is it a situation where we have this unique relationship that we need to explore? Do you experience it? Every, every day. Is it a constant in your life? No. You experience it every day but it's not a constant? Well, I guess it's that's a good question. I experience fear on an everyday basis but I don't look at something that's, a, a pervers- like, that's omnipresent, if that makes sense. Yeah, you don't, you're lucky. You don't yeah. walk around in fear every no, day. No, not at all. But I experience things on a regular yeah. basis that go, oh, you know, and some people isn't that do. interesting? You know, their life circumstances or what they've been through means they're afraid. Mm. 
you know, and we all see people like that. They don't want to look you in the eye. They don't want to, you know, they want they don't want to press it because they've already been through enough, mm. you know. So, so what's your relationship with fear? Uh, regular. I see it because I'm tuned into it. I see it all the time, but I'm not, I'm not afraid of fear, if that makes sense. I look it in the eye. Sometimes it beats me. Sometimes I beat it. It's a, we have a relationship, you know. Is it, a, it sounds like it's quite an intimate one. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah. I've, I've experienced enough things and I've run from it. I've run from things and let that, that fear control me and let the, the repercussions and circumstances of that live, be lived out in my life. But I've run towards my fear as well and let those circumstances be lived out. I don't think anyone can get away from their fear. I think if they don't have fear, then something's not right. Mm. Fear's healthy. Fear's a part it's of life. Practical. It's, you know, if you are going through your day, there'll be a moment oftentimes I think where you check yourself, where you question, where you have a little bit of um, I almost think of it like a little pump up or a little bit of bravado or strength in yourself where you go, you know what, I am going to say that, I am going to do that, I am going to be big, um, I am going to speak with confidence, I am going to put my idea forward. That's fear flipped on its head. It's just whether or not you, you think of it like that. And like I said, it's a dirty word for a lot of people mm. and, you know, fear can make you great. My fear in the ring made me fast. It made me hard to beat. You know, it's, it can make you a lot of things that you can put the reins on and ride. Mm. If you aren't afraid of looking at it, you know, and Sensei Benny used to get me in the locker room uh, before and, and before a fight and he would say, look at him, look at that guy, feel her energy. What's she like? Are they, are they coming from a place of anger? Are they coming from a place of fear? There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And he would get me to tune into different things and then he'd get me to tune into it in myself. Mm, wise man. And in fighting, a lot of people try and pretend they're not scared. And if you're not scared of getting in the ring with somebody, full contact, no shin pads, tiny gloves, and they can wrap their shin around your face, if someone kicks you that hard in the face, you'll end up in hospital having surgery and putting plates in your face. And there's a high risk. I never, from the first to the last fight, I never lost sight of the fact that people die in my sport. You know, there's a young man who passed away not long after I finished fighting who died in Sydney fighting for one of the titles I have, the male version of it. Mm. I never lost sight of that. So I went in the ring, as Sensei Benny would put it, he has a Native American heritage. He said, today's a good day to die. He said it to me yesterday, today's a good day to die. Make peace. Mm. If it's not for you and you're afraid, don't do it. If you have to do it. For whatever reason, if you're called to do something in your life, whether it's fighting, being a parent, starting a business, whatever that thing is, if you have to do it in your soul, then face it. If you run from that, that will have repercussions. That will hurt. And I looked at, you know, what would what I would feel about things if I'm lucky enough to get old. Would I regret it? Would I regret not saying that thing, not trying that thing? So my fear now, it motivates me. Mm. It's a good thing. I'm, I'm friends with it now. I go, yeah, really? I hear you, you again. Yeah. I see you. You know, and sometimes it keeps me safe and it keeps me in a, in a good place, you know, like my, 
I have repercussions of uh, from being so ill. I'm not physically as strong or as energetic as I used to be. I look like I am on the outside, so people get me wrong now. So I have to be very humble. And I had this training in a seminar since they've been here on the weekend. I just had to say, you know, someone said, how are you? I said, oh, I'm not so good today. I'm very tired. I didn't sleep well last night. For me, for a long time, it was hard to get it to come out of my mouth because I was mm. so used to having my armour on, especially, you know, in a situation where I'm the black belt or I'm the fighter and, you know, people are looking to me to be the leader and be strong. For me to be able to be really strong these days means telling the truth mm. and admitting my vulnerability. And if they look at me and think, oh, well, that's a shame, you used to be tough, shame on them takes way more courage to be honest and show your vulnerability, I believe, and I live that now. People, you know, they look at me and go, oh, you, you don't feel good. And I said, but I'm here. I'm doing it anyway. You know, I don't have to be the best at it anymore, mm. but I don't want to rob myself of the opportunity because you're going to look at me and think, what, I'm not as fit as I used to be. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't do as many push-ups. I, whatever it is. I have to let go of what other people think of me and just be proud of the fact that I'm doing it, whatever it looks like, however it feels. And my fear now is around being tired, mm. you know, because it, it gives me yucky feelings. Like I want to be able to be my absolute best. And yeah. sometimes you can't be your absolute best. You're firing <clears throat> at 50% because life happens to you. Mm. But if you're still trying, even if you're, you're stand, trying to stand up on shaky legs when you've been knocked down in your life, at least you're trying. At least you have the courage to try because some people don't. Mm. And I, I think that's a, a much more painful thing to be in than if you're getting up, you know, half your face is hanging off and you're bleeding and you're crying and, you know, and you're standing there wobbling with fear, but at least you stood up. And anybody who looks at you with pity doesn't understand what it took you to get up. Mm. And I look at people with pride. The more afraid you are, if you're, in, you're still in it, then I'll stand right behind you. I'll be in your corner because that's that's character. That's real, that's real guts for me. Rather than the guy who's always gets it right, who's the best at everything, who never struggles, I'll hang out with the one who's who's struggling. And you know, now I, I struggle more than I used to with with some things, but I'm also better than I used to be in different ways. Mm. So you've had the fight of your life. You know, you've been through an incredible bar- battle. Where, where's your health at now? Uh, I'm well. I'm in remission. I'm I'm hoping I'm going to live a, a long life and I choose to believe that I will. And mm. for the first few years that was hard to believe. I, I had yeah, uh, I doubt. My belief system, so you were saying that, you know, what's the courage? Yeah. For me it was, it took a few years worth of practicing that courage to change my belief system too. Well, I can't control the outcome, but I hope that I'm going to be here for a long time, but I'm smart enough to know that I'm going to get the things done that I need to do now just in case I'm not. Mm. You know, instead of being afraid, oh, I might die next year, I'll go, I might die next year. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start to talk to as many people as I can about this idea that changed my life in the hope that if it makes sense to them, they'll use it to change theirs. You know, and when I go and speak now, I try to make the point, when I remember, that, uh, you know, like we can all add up exactly how many days, minutes, hours, seconds we've been alive, but none of us really get to add up how many we've got left. Mm. So I'm assuming, I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm dreaming that I'm going to have a long life, but I'm very aware, not in a fearful way, but in a healthy respect way, I could be gone tomorrow. The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying says, in order for us to truly live, we must first die. Mm -hmm. So I completely respect and understand your perspective on that. What do you want to be remembered for? 
Telling the truth, you know, because I think that that is the hardest thing to do. Mm. I, I've stumbled before in my life, and this is what being sick taught me as well, I've stumbled before in my life when I didn't tell the whole truth about who I was because I was afraid it would hurt you. I was afraid you'd find it so hard or challenging to hear and it would be so challenging for me to say out loud and know and hear about myself that I, I cushioned it, I omitted it, I, I did whatever I was. And for me, that's not truly being who you are. Mm. It's actually selfish. It is, yeah. you know. Because oftentimes it's that pain that we inflict with the right intent that is the very catalyst that can create that change when it's delivered with the right yeah, and it no, might not be a good change. It might be a, a very painful, difficult change mm. for all involved. Which could be a good change. Often good changes are difficult and painful. Sometimes. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. Sometimes good it just hurts. Yeah. Sometimes it's the hard thing. So what does it mean to you to be uh, to have superhuman courage? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful answer. I don't. I don't know what that means. That's why I asked you before we started, what does that mean? Why superhuman? Mm. I'm just a person. You know, and one thing I always loved about Sensei Benny, Sensei just means teacher, like honourable teacher. He's a grand master of martial arts. He has nine black belts. He's been training for 60 years. There aren't many people alive who are more of a master of themselves than him, more of a master of the art of the fighting sport. But he won't let you call him anything other than Sensei. And even then he says you can call him Ben. You know, so he has a humility to him that I respect because he's not done learning. He doesn't, he knows he hasn't got it. He said to me the other day, the second you get comfortable in your chair, I'll kick it out from under you. <laughs> and I said, well, sensei, that means I'll do whatever you tell me to do because I'm not superhuman, I'm just a person. And if I get through today being authentic and I tell the truth and I don't pretend I'm anything other than how I am, even if it makes you uncomfortable, that's a good day. That's, a, that's an honest, well-lived day to me, whether I'm brave or not, whether I'm whether you like what I said or did or not. And, you know, when I sat down, I could see you looking at me like you're different today. You're different to when I, I met you before. And I could tell a part of me wanted to be smileier, friendlier, nicer to make you comfortable because you seem nice. I liked you when I met you before. You, you know, let's be friends. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to be here. I'm honoured. But the truth of it for me was I said to you, I'm thundering today. My energy's thundering. I'm switched on. I'm activated. I'm in a powerful place that I wasn't in yesterday. I was in a vulnerable place yesterday, but I did the work and I switched on a whole lot of buttons in myself and today something different's going to come out of me and if that makes people look at me funny, that's okay, but I'm not going to make it about you because my day is about me and I don't mean that selfishly it's all mm. about me i'm going to take your time from you i just mean like i'm i'm alive i'm here i'm paying attention mm. i'm living on an intense energy today that might only last another 10 minutes but i'm keenly aware and connected and that's about that's about me in my life and, I, and i'm here experiencing it and i'm going to share this time with you and make it real and if I can get through my life being real, that feels good to me, that feels right to me, and that might not be how you want to live it or somebody else wants to live it, but that's what, that's who I decided to be coming out of, coming out of being sick. And Sensei Benny asked me when I was sick, what are you going to do with this? That's what I'm going to do with it. I just want to be 
as grounded as I can be, as honest as I can be, because that's the thing that I think people resonate with. Mm. You know, they don't, there's so many people who look shiny on the outside, but they hate themselves, you know, and you just look on social media and it's all, ah, look at my great life and you know, look how much I've airbrushed my picture. And, you know, if you airbrush pictures, no offense, but, <laughs> you know, I just. Untaken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I just want to be who I really am. Yeah, nice. Because it's all going to be over in a minute. And if I meet you and talk to you, I don't want to talk about what kind of car you drive. I don't want to talk about how much money you made last year. Those things are lovely. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. But if I die tonight, I, if I spend an hour of my day with you, I want to know who you are. I want to know why I'm here. I want to know what you want from me. What are we doing? What do you want me to give? Who do you think I am? Who do you think you are? Let's talk about something uh, meaningful rather mm. than... Shooting the shit, as they say, because you can do that with somebody else. But for me today, that's not who I am today. It's not mm. what I want to do because I might crash my car on the way home. And I don't mean I'm running around in fear thinking I'm going to die all the time. I get it. I'm just aware that oh, yeah. I'm lucky to be here and I'm going to be here fully present. And, you know, it's interesting your perspective. Um, and, again, I don't know how much you know about my story, but I've had seven near-death experiences and one of the things that I'm very grateful for is the gift of mortality. Mm. And so as you're talking, I can relate because every day, twice a day, when I wake up and when I go to bed, I ask this question, will today be my last day? And when I do that, I find it gives me a very different perspective. I am so much more present with my son. I'm so much more present in my conversations. I'm so much more present with my team. Um, and I think there's a real value that comes with your perspective around time and mm -hmm. its fragility and its preciousness that only in many cases the gift of mortality can give. Uh, and I'm not saying that there aren't other experiences that we can have that, you know, give us this perspective on the value of time, but there's something just very unique about the gift of mortality and experiencing how fragile it is that really changes people. Um, so to have you mm. come in here today and, and to share your perspective and share your experience, Dean, thank you so much. It's been a real honour and a pleasure. pleasure. But for those who want to know more about you and the, the book that you've just had coming out, The, the ten, sec 10 Seconds of Courage, where can people find out more about you? It's in all good bookstores. If you want to, uh, you know, if you want to hear a speech that I did about 10 Seconds of Courage or buy the book or be directed towards it, you can go to my website, which is nadinechampion.com. Fantastic. We'll put um, a link in the comments. I put uh, a lot of the lessons that I've learnt through my own experience and that Sensei Benny taught me into that book um, so that people can take them away and use them. And, uh, you know, if you, if you want to see what you know, vulnerable courage looks like. Watch my watch my YouTube video of my TEDx talk. And Great talk. I highly recommend anyone to watch it. Thank you. You know, it's it's for me it's just about being being true and you know, like you said, you're you're aware of your own mortality and you're paying attention. You're not playing and you're not wasting your time. And I was hoping when I sat down today that you wouldn't waste my time. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean why do you want me here? Are we going to talk about stuff, surface level stuff, or do you want to really talk? Because that to me, this was fun for me. This was, this yeah. was real. And I hope that, you know, that, that your audience listening hears that and gets an insight into something for themselves, something about themselves, something about you that they can take away and and, uh, you know, act on. And you've given incredible gifts today. Energy Champion, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. 
There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray. 